The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Any believer's life will go epic when they discover the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining our podcast today as we unfold more of the truths of who you are in Christ. The word humble in the Hebrew is quite amazing if you just let it sink in. We've been talking about for many months that humble is actually the the definition of being a little less than human. Even though that is very true. Humility or humble in the Hebrew is to destroy the wall and anoint with water of humility. It's a baptism of water. It's a washing away the evil and the destruction that is in a person's life. Now when the earth had to go through this baptism, what was that called? The flood. Why did God have to do this flood? There was not a single person on the face of the earth that was humble, except for Noah. And since God lives by his own principles that you and your household shall be saved, the three sons and their wives automatically got a free ticket. But it was the humility and dependence of Noah that brought this alive for the entire earth. There was nothing good left on the earth. It all had to be destroyed. And the animals were not to blame for any of this. And so two by two they got on this ark that took Noah well over a hundred years to build for God to push the reset button so that he could bring a fresh start to humility for mankind. He had to destroy this wall that the arrogant people put up between their God and themselves. And then he anointed this mission by washing them all away. That is the Hebrew for humble. This revival is not for lost people. I cannot tell you how much reference there is in regard to the idea of a revival being for the unsaved world, the unsaved people. Revival is actually for the people of God who have lost touch with the power of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Lost people do not need revival. They need to get saved. 
If you're not saved, you need to come to Jesus Christ, confess your sins, be indwelt by Him, and call on Him for His final revival to be birthed through you. And if you know the Lord today, you are indwelt by Him, then God has something very, very special for you and something that He has to say to you in regard to this calling. Most indwelt believers have a little bit of an understanding that there is a higher calling after salvation. But there's a very small, small percentage that actually live it. They're more caught up in their daily relationships. They're more caught up in their day-to-day stresses. They're more caught up in their job activities. They're more caught up in all these material things that seem to be this primary objective that they believe God has for their life. All you have to do is simply ask yourself the question, is what I'm touching, what I'm saying, what I'm doing, is it furthering the mission of Jesus Christ eternally? If it is not, I'll leave the rest up to you and the Holy Spirit. Now we have to mow our grass. We have to clean our cups. We have to go to our jobs. But if that's what consumes your mind, it's what's going to consume your life. This final revival will never happen on the scale that we're hoping it will happen if people are caught up in their daily activities. It has to be a higher calling that the indwelt believer is actually willing to live so that he will release his revival in and through you, if you will allow him to do so. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this. It's a very popular passage for people to reference in regard to answering the question, what are the primary things that God hates? Well, there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, that is escalating yourself a little higher than the person that's in front of you. So whatever that looks like to you, that's what haughty eyes are. It is a raised position. It's a swelling. When the sea swells, it it's a word picture of what pride is. And when a person swells up and tries to be noticed, they are showing evidence of haughty eyes. A lying tongue. Well, that's pretty simple definition all in and of itself. Hands that shed innocent blood. That doesn't mean you go grab your gun and go shoot someone at Walmart. Hands that shed innocent blood are people that slap each other and hurt each other and kick each other. It could be as simple as a little kid pitching a fit. Anything, any action that is striking out that is to hurt and to harm is what he is referring to. A heart that devises wicked plans. Now, if there's a listener listening right now and there's thoughts going through your mind and you're thinking about possible ways that you can respond wickedly through an email or through a text message. As I got from 
a female theologian this past week, she corrected me and said that I had better begin to start teaching the truth that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. And then she went on with a quite lengthy correction of me in stuff she's heard me say and stuff she has read in regard to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You see, there are people that are actually thinking right now, not just me, of course, there are preachers and teachers all over the world that as people listen to these truthsayers, they want to shut this person up. And there's only one way that they can think of to shut these people up, and that is to bring rejection upon them. Sometimes rejection is in violence. Sometimes rejection is simply in the mind of the person of turning the person off, zoning out. Feet that run rapidly to evil. Now this starts when you have children. And parents who are not 100% alert to their environment around them of their children, they're going to leave their children's feet run to evil. And then you hear about it, and then you correct them. To that I say, big deal. The, the change of a child's heart is not in correcting them. The change of a child's heart is catching them before their feet get to evil. Or have you not noticed that that hasn't fixed your children's problems? Correcting them doesn't fix them. Correction is just a part of the process, but it's at the end. Being alert and being aware of how the enemy is leading yourself or leading your children or leading others down one of these seven pathways. When your child acts or sounds arrogant, catch it. When your child is beginning to run toward evil things, and that could be as anything as stealing candy from a baby. Evil is not using your shotgun. Evil is stepping the other direction from the presence of the living God. And parents, if you think that you are responsible because you are correcting them after you catch them, you are wrong. You are misled. Being alert of your environment, being aware of what's going on is where it's at because that's exactly what God does. He is alert. He is aware of everything that is going on and he provides an opportunity for a different choice during the alert period. It's simple parenting 101. But we live in a society today, globally, where parents are too tired to correct their children. Parents are too tired to catch their children as their little feet are running toward rapidly toward evil. And then when things are just so crazy and out of control in their life, it's usually right around 13 years of age. 10 to 13 years of age, they realize things are just out of control. And to that I say, 
You're the one that was sleeping when their little feet were running toward evil. 602-292-2982. Another one is a false witness who utters lies. That is actually listening to a righteous person and saying something to another person that is not what they said. You are defaming the character of God inside that person by adjusting, adding, twisting, stretching as you're sharing it with someone else. It's the greatest way to destroy a prophet. Read the Old Testament if you don't believe me. Uttering lies. The one who spreads strife among brothers. These are people within our family. Not just our literal family. We're talking about the family, the indwell believers. As the great elder said to Jack in the story tonight, never point your sword at a fellow indwell believer. The sword is for the enemy. It's one of the things that God hates. So here you have it. Six things that he hates and one he can tolerate. But see, if God hates something, he's going to let you know about it. If he kind of tolerates something, you might get by with it. But if God hates it, and out of the seven things, six of these things have to do with pride. So here's what this is telling us, listener, that nothing is more despising to the living God of the universe than pride. You, arrogant listener, can't even hear these words because you're arrogant. You can't even hear them. You can't let those words pierce through your soul and break you down. And as Steve Green was singing tonight, melt you for a new molding. You cannot, because arrogant people cannot hear the presence and the voice of God. They can't. That's why they go to hell. And those who are indwelt and suffer with arrogance and pride, you're just going to have a disturbed life. Because you're not able to hear God in you, even though he's in you. This is a pretty big deal to the Lord. We are on 129 in our series. We're doing a little sub-series called The Final Revival, and this is epic number 20. We are excited at how the Lord is leading the leaders within the world to an epic revival that literally changed the people with this impact that God wants to make in the world today. And all he's got is his indwelt believers. That's all he's got. Can you, can you think of someone, some other vessel he's got that he can use? So there has to be a revival in the hearts of the indwelt believers. It's critical. So why do you think that God hates pride so much? You see, when Satan was in heaven and his name was Lucifer, now Satan and pride are the same root word, to swell up. So when Satan was in heaven as Lucifer, the scriptures tell us that he 
would rise up against the knowledge of God. He swelled up. So when God gave him this renaming after he fell from heaven, he was given the absolute worst name you possibly can have. Is one who rises up against the knowledge of God. Satan. The sweller. That's why there's so many illustrations about storms and and being tossed by waves and all of the horrific things that come with the storms of life. It is it is the symbol of swelling up, rising up against you, circumstances rising up against you. Well then you have to ask the question, who's behind these swelling? I'm not afraid to look. Hopefully you're not either. Open up your Bibles to Proverbs, starting at chapter 8. Those of you who are listening via podcast on your smartphone, just touch that little red box that has a white cross in it, and the scriptures will open up to you. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is... To hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Here we have it again. Can you imagine, just for a moment, listener, God hating something? Now, Jesus used the term hate, and which was extremely rare, at least what was written down about what he said. But John, who wrote the book of Revelation, when God was speaking, Jesus was speaking to John, he did reference and use the term hate. And the term that he used in hate was directly associated with Deacon Nicholas, who was a graduate of the School of Alexandra who started the Catholic Church. He was introducing to the seven churches this concept of putting a priest between the people and Jesus Christ, and that there had to be a Pope, a Christ figure on the earth that had to manage all of these priests. It was the birthing of the Roman state church. And Jesus said, For I hate the deeds of Nicholas. When God says hate, it's over. Now you can put the pieces together. You can ask yourself the question, who is the largest church in the world? You can ask yourself the question, who is the richest church in the world? You can ask yourself the question, what church is their own nation? You can ask your question of just how much swelling of this church has occurred since those words came out of Jesus' mouth. Six, oh, two. Two, nine, two, two, nine, eight, two. It continues to swell. This particular church actually said November 11 of last year that this present Pope said, I am the leader of the new one world church. 
Really? This is pride. This is what he's saying he hates and despises. Pride has no ending. Every generation, every century that goes on and on and on, pride just swells up bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until one day, Nicholas says, I am the Christ. No, you're not, Nicholas. Jesus hates your deeds. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then dishonor comes. Now, I want you parents to listen to something very carefully here. All of us go through life and we are quite curious at watching parents. We really are. Whether you're single, married, married no children, married 150 children, cowboy wants 100. Whatever your status is, we are quite fascinated with watching parents. When you are watching parents that have a dishonorable child, this is what's being born. An arrogant proudful child that is going to have to be broken, as Steve Green was singing to us earlier, is going to have to be broken and melted. Or they're worthless. People who are proud are just worthless to the Lord. They cannot be used. They can only be used by the objectives and the goals of Satan. Is that too harsh for you listeners? I'm telling you, Proud people can only be used by Satan, who is the swelled one, who is the one that one day will say, Out of the way, Pope Francis, I am, I am the Christ. Is he not going to say that? Yes, he is. We need a revival. And the revival that we need has got to melt down the proud and arrogant people of the world today. Now, the next time you hear a parent, as you're watching the parent-child, next time you hear that parent say, Jimmy, I'm proud of you. Why don't you just replace the word with the proper word? Jimmy, I'm Satan of you. That'll wake you up in the morning. If you are so bold and arrogant to rise up against the commandments of God and what he hates, and say to your child, I Satan you, what is wrong with you? You cannot be an indwelt believer once you catch that piece of truth. These are things God hates, and it builds dishonor toward authority. That's what happens. But with the humble, it says, there is wisdom. We see, when you're a little less than the person that is in front of you, you can relax. And when you're relaxed, if you're indwelt, you can hear the voice of the Father. Proverbs 16.5 Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination causes, abomination means causes hatred. 
to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. You want to bet? Proud children rarely get spanked. Did you know that? They rarely are disciplined and spanked. And that's not just my own surveys. You see, the parents are so proud of them. Why would they spank them when they're rising up and swelling to say, I am better than my classmates. I am better than my friends. I am better at whatever. I mean, why would you spank that when you're proud of them, when you're satanizing them? Why would you want to discipline them? You see, God's coming along. He's saying, you might not punish them, but I will punish them. I will deal with these people. We need a revival now because our indwelt believers have gone stupid. Stupid is as stupid does. We have. We've just lost it. We're not alert anymore. We let our children run rapidly to evil. We let our children... We, we're just, we've lost it. There's no honor towards authority anywhere that we can find as the norm in our world today. It's gone. We need a revival. And revival is not going to happen until there's an honor and a respect for authority. Do you remember when Jack was walking across the, the bridge and he got to the other side of the bridge and what happened that surprised Jack? The chief elder out of the 24 elders, listener, listen carefully, I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the book of Revelation. There are 24 elders surrounding the throne of God to continue to demonstrate awe and respect of authority. It's their job. I want to be one of them. Not one of the 24 elders, because that's a far reach. I want to be one of the ones that says, I want to demonstrate for you, O Lion of Judah, honor and respect of your authority. And when that chief elder got down on one knee and he bowed to Jack, Jack thought, what, was, what, what did Jack think was happening? Why are you bowing to me? I'm not the Lion of Judah. I'm not the little lamb. I'm not the God of the universe. And the chief elder said to him, they were bowing to the indwelling life and the power and presence and commission that Jack just got by being at the throne of God. You see, they understood authority, so they honored it even inside little Jack. Sorry, parents, you're not going to see a lot of that in the world today. Proverbs 16:18 says, Pride goes before destruction. Well, the enemy's got to come along and go, Well, I'm going to have to build a... A common core goal within our educational system. So that every child feels special. Every child feels they're growing and prospering. Any of you who have researched Common Core? Came from the UN, if you're wondering. But common core was simply to remove the correction 
in the institution of training children so that they did not feel like failures. They are failures. They're going to hell unless they have the life of Christ in them. And if you speak that way today, some of you get resistance. But you've seen nothing yet. Ten years from now, someone who is that bold saying, but you're going to go to hell. And that's why you're a failure. That's your punishment for failure and arrogance. You're going to see a different society. You think they're pushing for hate crimes now. You've seen nothing yet. When the UN releases their new educational program in 2018, which happens to be the same time they're doing this Bible translation thing, something very, very major is going to shift in our society worldwide. And it has to. You think that we're the only ones that are going for a big revival? Are you kidding me? Satan needs a massive revival of unifying globalistic thinkers and believers worldwide. They have to do the exact same thing we're doing. And they will be more success successful than us. We'll be shot for it. They will be given Nobel Peace Prizes for their plan. Do you see kind of what's going on here? If you don't, that's okay. You will in a couple of years. I promise. Proud, haughty scoffers are his, Satan's, names, who acts with insolent pride. Proud, haughty scoffers. All Satan's names. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low. But a humble spirit will obtain honor. It's to be lifted up. Those are our passages for tonight. Here's the ten revival killers of pride. Listen carefully, listener. Number one, pride slash Satan refuses to listen. And it or he always interrupts others. These are very simple checkmark type of statements that you can let the Lord minister to you right now as you're listening. If you do these things, children, if you do these things, teenagers, if you do these things, moms and dads or adults, you are setting yourself up for the kingdom of Satan. This is what Satan needs to create his final revival. He needs people who are always interrupting others. Because see what it says is, I'm not interested in listening to you. I'm interested in you hearing what I have to say. If you're a teacher, a preacher, or any one of that category, that is not what I'm addressing. I'm addressing conversations. Number two, pride or Satan likes to talk about itself all the time. Me, 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 me. 
On the social networks, they call it the me gospel. Everything is about your pain, your agony, your suffering, your problems. Everything is about you. Well, the problem with that is it's not about you. And if you're having these daily anxiety thoughts about God doesn't care for me, He doesn't take care of me, He didn't rescue me from this horrible situation I'm going through, He didn't! Or you wouldn't be in it! Do you understand that? He's got you in a refiner's fire. He's trying to burn something up in you so that he can pull forth the higher calling out of you. Not for Omimi gospel. He's trying to pull that higher calling out of you so that you can rise up with the one who is above all and accomplish his mission. Either that or you're going to have to join this new revival that's going on with adding scriptures to the Bible that are not true scriptures. Join the universal church because that is their mission. Three, pride Satan has an intense desire to be noticed. The next time you stand in front of a mirror and you're dolling yourself up, you probably should ask yourself the question, why am I doing this? You see, if you are doing that so that you are clean, you are just taking care of yourself and being a good steward, great. But if you're doing that to lure attention to yourself, you're a perfect setup for Satan. You see, he wants you to look in the mirror and not see Christ. He wants you to look in the mirror and see you. And see how you can change it. So you'll go spend $1,200 on that new diet. You'll go spend you know, effort and time and whatever it is that, that people do nowadays to get people to look at them. Meanwhile, God's going, I'm not sure I get this. Because they're dying daily. They're aging. They're shriveling up. Their bodies are preparing for the casket. And they're putting makeup on it. They're stretching it, cutting it, twisting it, spraying it. They're dying daily. And that's God's mission. It's his goal. So that the Eternal, internal life is what starts to radiate. Do you make money off of making others look better? I had a friend say to me, I have to research this, who said 90% of the occupations in the world today is to make people look better. What's right out of here? We don't look good anymore, folks. And if you've got a pretty face and you have whatever they mean by a pretty body or attractive body, I just say give it a little time. Because it's going to wrinkle up and get ugly. 
God's commissioned your body to prepare itself for a casket to die daily so that the life in you is what shines forth. The next one. Pride, Satan believes that it is or he deserves everything it gets. I worked hard for this. I deserve this. Okay. And the thing is, God will let you have it. I don't know if you notice this or, notice this or not, but evil people prosper more than Christians. Did you know that? Did you know they're richer? Did, did you know that they have the money for the face surgeries? They have the money for the fancy cars. They have the money for the... They have the money to, to coat themselves with this candy-coated illusion that I am beautiful. Really? You're wrinkling up, bro. You're shrinking up. Satan himself cannot defy the ordinances of God, and that is to prepare you for your casket. No matter what your car looks like. Number five, pride. Satan is not thankful. Parents, just watch your kids in an average day. If your kids are not compelled on their own to come to you and say, thank you for lunch. It was awesome. It's the first thing God says that leaves. Be anxious for nothing but in everything in prayer and supplication with a thankful heart let your request be made known unto the Lord. You cannot enter the courtyard of the presence of God unless you enter the courtyard of thanksgiving. That's where it all starts. Satan knows that. He wants your children to be selfish, self-indulged, and without thanksgiving. And of course, if you want to use the law on them to arouse the sinful passions that are in them, i got this technique for you. 602-292-2982. Here's the technique, parents. Tell your children to say thank you. That's going to change their lives. It's like telling your children, now go to your brother and say, I was wrong for kicking you. Really? What's the point? Because ten minutes later, they're at him again. How do you bring a person to the point of wanting to reconcile? It's through a thankful heart. Thankful for life. Thankful for my parents. Thankful for what they give. Thankful. And if you break that chain, that connection, you kind of want to reconcile it. We have it backwards. Number six, pride or Satan cannot be corrected. Have you ever corrected a child and 10 minutes later they're doing the exact thing you corrected them for? Well, then you have sucked into this because the objective is not correcting your children. The objective is being alert before they need to be corrected. So as you're alert and you're literally watching that child's little feet run rapidly toward evil and you say, stop, Jimmy. You have a choice. 
You can choose what is wrong and unrighteous and continue with your little feet and run toward evil. Or you can, or you can make a different choice and you can choose what is right and righteous and be free to enjoy your day. Your choice. Then you let them run rapidly toward evil. Or not. Pride Satan does not like the like to follow instructions. Oh, I can figure this out. I used to buy things, open the box up and throw the instructions aside. Of course I use the excuse I couldn't read very well, so but the real reason was I was proud. I can figure this out. How many times did I put something together and there was a handful of bolts left or something? Or it was crooked or, you know, whatever. Pride kind of destroys things. Number eight, pride or Satan exalts itself in the presence of others. That's a duh. Pride or Satan criticizes and, and tries to uh, makes itself or himself look better by putting the other. Excuse me, by putting the other person down. I have never really insulted anyone directly. Have you, is there anyone here that has? Well, I've never hurt anyone, period. I mean, people, people react around me because they have problems. But I'm fine. Mary, have you ever seen me insult anyone? See, I told you, silence is golden. But that's really what we're saying. It's not my problem, it's your problem. Which is obviously not true. And then number 10, is pride or Satan thinks of its or his own needs first instead of the needs of the person in front of you. You probably have already guessed it by now, but we are all tempted by all ten of these revival killers. Revival is not something we should be praying for or putting together. It should be something we're living, revived every day. This is what kills it. Indwelt or not indwelt. So we need a better plan. So let's take a look at that. God has a better plan. He calls on his people to humble themselves. The word humble obviously means to bend a knee, to bring down, to place self under another, to be less than human. Pride will not allow the prideful person to bow their knee to the Lord or to others. No bended knee here. God desires his people to take whatever steps are necessary to bring themselves under his authority. He wants us to know that we cannot do it, certainly in and of ourselves. He wants us to know that we are dependent upon him for everything we have. Thus we'll be thankful. He wants us to bend the knee to his authority in our lives. That's the better plan. So, we need to remove this garbage from our lives. So, we, we take these steps that Jesus laid out for 
the church of Laodicea, this lukewarm church. And God was very firm in what was going to happen if these people did not do this. He was going to spit them out of his mouth. So when Jonah entered Nineveh, something very interesting happened. He entered Nineveh, and the king of Nineveh required everyone to fast and pray. How many people were living in Nineveh? 120,000. How many people got saved that day? 120,000. The result was because of the people humbling themselves, they prayed, fasted, and God cut loose. Of course, that didn't fix Jonah. He went up on the hill and he started pouting again, like a spoiled brat. And God literally supernaturally grew this tree up to protect him from the scorching sun that he, if you want to read it, read it. He appointed a scourging sun. And it wilted the tree. And Jonah ended up complaining and whining. Jonah was acting like a spoiled brat. And he was asking God to take his life, and God came and says, Do you have good reason to die? Oh, yes, I do. You you forgave all those people in Nineveh, but yet you put me in the belly of the fish. What's up with that? They deserve at least what I got. It's pride. There is no recorded stories of Jonah surviving after that discussion. I personally believe God removed him after he was done with this discussion. And here 120,000 people got saved in a revival that took place in one day. And Jonah pitched a fit. What about me? I'm trying to start the Mimi gospel here, God. That is what the church needs to do today. Same thing. God's people need to realize that we were nothing when he found us and we're still nothing without him. He who thinks he's something when he's Nothing deceives himself. If we're going to have a revival, then pride is going to have to be permanently dealt with. Or you'll activate that top ten killer list every day. Keep on telling your children you're proud of them. And let me know how that turns out in ten years. We need to really ask ourselves the question of why there's very few people that get saved today. We need to really ask ourselves why why don't revival preachers why why aren't the floors shaking anymore? Why aren't people going, I've got to listen to this? 
Why are the numbers so low on changed lives? It comes at the end of these numbers. 602, 292, 2982. It's called pride. The world is arrogant, puffed up, and ready for their Christ. And they're going to get him real soon. The people of God are challenged to pray. Prayerlessness is the very first thing that shoots out as a manifestation of pride. Prayerlessness says, I don't need to call on the Lord. I don't need to call on the indwelling life of, of Jesus. I can, I can do this. I got this, Lord. You know that old adage of, you know, I'll do my part and God will do the rest? Probably not, folks. Prayerlessness relies on self and resources that self can provide, obviously, and produce. And refuses to lean on Jesus from within because that's kind of pointless. If I'm all about showing my skills, my power, my personality, my good looks, my healthy body, my healthy mind, my if it's all about that, then why tap into Jesus? You need a meltdown. That's what you need. It is a fact that we can that we can pray and not have revival, but we will never have revival apart from prayer. Prayer is the ultimate statement of inability. Prayer looks to God and says, I can't, but you can. And I would even add, you will. Prayer acknowledges personal profound dependence upon the Lord. We do not have revival because we do not pray. I, too, am guilty of that. And we do not have revival because we do not pray as we should, as James 4, 2 through 3 says. Also, uh, the man who my father was named after, Charles Finney, said, prayer is the essential link in the chain of events that leads to revival. Well said, Charles Finney. Man of revival himself. We have lost the art of waiting before the Lord in prayer. Too much of our praying is literally wrote prayers that were taught. They're antiseptic. They're, they're too clean. They're too predictable. Instead of just being released to let the Spirit communicate with the Father, and we are a part of that communication. And we're bringing the words forward out of our mouth. Here's a little story of Dr. Moody I came across this week. Basically, Dr. Moody was invited to come and speak at a church, but he was on vacation. I don't know if you know much about Dr. Moody, but he was a very active man. He was always about ministry. And a lot of preachers during that time would wear themselves down to almost nothing 
because they were just compelled to do what God asked them to do. Oh yes, today we have Moody Institute in Chicago, but that is many, many years later of trying to replicate this man's life of dedication to a great revival worldwide. There are a lot of personal stories about D.L. Moody that are not pleasant. But he was known for one thing, and that is he was compelled to give his entire life, every ounce of breath in him, to teach and preach when God asked him to do it. So his leaders sent him on a vacation, required him to get rest. So they sent him far, far, far away. And so he, here he is far, far, far away, and some local preacher invites him to come to preach. He can't say no, of course. And he goes and preaches against his own will. He doesn't really want to be there. He does this Sunday morning preaching, and he basically writes in his journal, this was the deadest group of people he had ever preached to. And he did his normal preaching, believing in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the changing. Leaves that Sunday service and finds out that there's a little revival taking place. He's called back to come and preach at night. And he does this invite, as a lot of preachers would do back then to this little room, if anyone here would like to have the life of Christ, you know, come to this little room and we'll pray for you. Well, the room was packed. And a bunch of people got saved. So Moody decides that this was awesome. So, you know, he gets on a train and heads off to further his vacation. He gets off the train on his destination. There's someone already there, at least a, a telegram or memo or whatever it was that said, you need to come back because a revival has started. And he did. Went back and continued to preach every night. And over 400 souls were revived in the presence of the Lord. That's what I'm asking of the Lord. Because you know what? I suffer daily with preaching to dead people. You have no idea how much that grates on me. I see deadness in people instantly. When they walk through a door, when they make false promises, when they are texting or when they're calling, I just see deadness instantly. And God blessed me with a reminder of this story this week to remind me I must follow my compelling to preach the gospel, the real gospel of Jesus Christ. Let him do the work. Let him do the transforming work. Yeah. It is very, very exciting to me. I thank the good Lord for men of God like D.L. Moody. And there's thousands of them out there today. Maybe some in this room. 
Here's our identity matter statement for today. We pray for a few minutes. We think that we're ready for a meeting. We recite our list to the Lord of all the things that need to fix or repair or change our flesh. Or maybe the material things around us. I do it. I'm still praying for that leather chair. Things to make us feel comfortable. Well, there's something more than just that, I'm afraid. It's not like God does not care about those things, but there's something greater. There's a calling that's higher. So we have to come to this place where we sacrifice Satan's pride on God's altar. That's what it is. Declare utter helplessness and our total dependence on the indwelling life of Christ, not on an external Jesus. If you're into an external Jesus, I want to tell you a little trick of the trade. All the eschatology teachers pretty much know this little piece, this little secret. So if you're into eschatology at all, or you have an interest in the book of Revelation, you have an interest in the end times, I want you to remember this until you die. In fact, after I say it, I don't believe you'll ever be able to forget it. Here's how it works. The term Christ, Christian, Christian, is to follow a Christ. It doesn't matter what your Christ or who your Christ is. So if the enemy can get you to be a Christian, a follower of a Christ, it doesn't matter who your Christ is. Do you understand that? Mr. or Mrs. Christian. Because the day's going to come when you are so familiarized with the term Christ follower that Satan's going to step up and swap the Christ. Where a Christian will not mean indwelt believer anymore. And he just steps in that place and he will become the Christian, the Christ of the world. And you're going to wake up and realize that you are following someone you never expected you were going to follow. Pride is the gateway to get you there, Mr. or Mrs. Christian. It is not about Christ. It's about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was sent to us to provide for us a pathway, a passage, to get to the Father. It isn't about following a Christ. It's about the indwelt life of Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm suggesting our listeners to do. If you are a church leader, or maybe you're not a church leader. You can still go to your church leadership and say, you know what, I want to put together a prayer schedule for two years and get people to sign up for 15-minute time slots to pray for a great revival for the indwelt believers in the world today that they wake up. Just 15 minutes a week is all I'm asking of you. 
But see, it's going to take someone in each church, each fellowship, each ministry to organize it. To call upon people, will you pray from 3 to 3.15 in the middle of the night for a great revival in the indwelt believers worldwide? Yes, I will get up and pray that 15 minutes. Bare minimum, we should be able to get someone to pray when it's light out. But I know that I know if someone has a fire lit in them, they'll get up at any time, night or day, and pray for a great revival worldwide. And at the end of the two years, my friends and I would like to have a Revival Now World Summit. Bringing in leaders from all over the world, some of the finest worship, exchange life worship music, some of the best teachers that know who Jesus Christ really is and where he lives, and to ignite a fire that's going to spread throughout the whole world. This is not a revival for the lost. You don't need a revival. You need to get saved. This is Revive Us, O Lord, right, Steve Green? This is all about reviving who Christ is inside of us. Go to your leadership and say, if you are being convicted by God, I'm that leader that wants to put this together for two years. And I'm even asking someone here locally, Pray to step up to organize this. But if you want to kick it back on your leader, I'll take it. I'm serious about this. I want this final revival to be my last final mission. I want to go home after this. I want to call it quits. But God may show something different. Because if he puts a fire on that two-year mark and there is this fire that spreads throughout the entire world like we've never seen before, I want to be a part of watching that too. But I'm just telling you, my whole life I have been being built and molded and melted down and remade and remolded and to this point of igniting an exchanged life, an indwelling revival. Like D.L. Moody understood. Andrew Murray understood. Jonathan Edwards understood. Those guys of that generation knew exactly what I'm talking about. I'm going to see something way beyond that. And I believe most leaders would say the exact same thing. The greatest revival needs to be the final revival and it better rub itself in the face of the enemy. And yes, it will spur on the final times. I say good news for modern man. Bring it on. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.